Everybody having a good night? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. We've had a wild few weeks. We've had some, the Lord's been moving, touching people's lives. T today's apparently like homecoming. Anybody know that? That's like, it's, it's kind of cool. There's like a bunch of stuff going on on campus. Okay. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief, that thou her maid art far more fair than she, but not her maid since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick, and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. It is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. And then Juliet responds, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou wilt not, but be sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Juliet continues, "'Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What's a Montague? It is nor hand nor foot, nor arm nor face. Oh, be so some other name belonging to a man. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet.' So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retained that dear perfection, which he owes without that title. Romeo, doff thy name, and for thy name, which is no part of thee, take all myself. This, of course, is the famous window scene from Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. And there's a lot that kind of goes behind in the context of this play, the most famous play that has ever been written. And it's obviously one that you probably will study in school as well or already have. Now, tonight, we're going to be reading from a very interesting book in the scriptures called The Song of Songs. Or if you have an older translation, it will, would be called also The Song of Solomon. And this is a very similar book in terms of because it's talking about romance. It's talking about true love. And this really is a Romeo and Juliet type of story that the author is talking about. And so in Song of Songs, we're going to read in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, a short passage and we're believing tonight that the Lord is going to teach us something special about his character. Are you excited for that? This is what the Bible says in Song of Songs, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely I had passed them when I found the one my heart loves. 
Let's pray tonight. Jesus, we ask you for wisdom. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts and teach us how to be intimate with you, O God. We long for you tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This is, if you read through Song of Songs, this is very much a similar take that you would find in Shakespeare. Shakespeare probably got a lot of influence from this book, but this is a story between two star-crossed lovers, as it were, that they are talking about their deep love and their deep bond between husband and wife that they share in their covenant with each other. Now, scholars, when they talk about this book, most of them consider this book to be anonymous. You'll have older translations of the Bible that say, this Song of Solomon as though he wrote it, but we actually don't know. The first verse in the entire book says a, a, a Songs of Solomon, but it very well could be someone that dedicated the book to him. So we actually, scholars kind of say, and most of them agree, that we actually don't know who wrote it. But the goal for tonight is to take an exegetical look at the purpose behind this book and why was it written? Why is it in the Bible? It's by far one of the most unique books that you find in Scripture. This is about a spouse that's seeking out her love in vain, but but finding him at last to her unspeakable joy. Now, Song of Songs is a very raw book, okay? It easily reaches a rated R rating from time to time. Now, this is a poem. This is poetic literature, what we call wisdom literature, that is a section of books in the Bible where the, you, ha, you have to read them in a, in a particular way. You're not going to read them the same way you read the Gospels because this is poetry, you're going to read and study poetry different. But this book gets very raw. It gets very real in talking about the loving passions between this husband and wife. And this is so much so where Christians in the past strictly forbade children to read this book. They would not let them go near it. And if you read it, you might understand why if you read it from, from beginning to end. So this book tends to get a little spicy. And um, you even preaching from this book, you kind of have to be careful which passages you choose to preach from. But I believe the Holy Spirit's going to help us tonight because this book has a theme in it that we must understand as Christians that are seeking to walk with God. There is a theme here that I want to dive into. This book, Song of Songs, makes no apology. It celebrates the beauty of the physical body and the beauty of the union between husband and wife. It doesn't hide from it. It celebrates how God has made us beautifully and wonderfully made. And it rejoices in this fact. Now, understand, guys, the devil, and I've said this before, he always wants to drive you to extremes. The devil's always interested in driving you to an extreme to have an extreme take on any biblical issue. He wants you to be extreme about it. Now, in, in that light, you can, and we see this all over our culture, we live in a hyper, overly sexualized culture. And this is what the devil wants. He wants us all to be overly sexual, even into perversions. That's what the devil wants. That's the enemy, and this, it's ungodly, and it's sinful. What I mean by overly sexual and, 
and um, over-sexualized culture, what we're talking about is pleasure on demand at any cost. That's the culture that we live in today, is it not? This is culture of I want pleasure for myself and I want it now, I want it on demand at any cost. If that is an attitude that you live with, my friends, this is where you start to really run into trouble. This is where you start to get into perversions. You start to pervert the actual beauty of the human body and you go way too far in that. And when you become that type of perversion, that type of perverted person who is overly sexualizing everything, that's when you begin to start using people. You start to get in relationships and you start to use them for your own pleasure and for your own happiness. That is what I mean by the devil wants to push you to extremes, wants to push you to extremes. Now, at the same time, guys, the equal and opposite extreme is just as sinful as being overly sexual. There's also hating sexuality itself is also a sin. It's also ugly and terrible of a sin to commit because when when i mean by your when when people get to this state of hating sexuality what you start to do there is you treat sex and the body like they're both wicked in and of themselves and that's not true the bible says god has made you beautifully and wonderfully made the body is a creation of God and it matters and it's beautiful in his eyes. And so this is also an extreme that we have to avoid is that we, we also don't want to get in this state where we hate human sexuality because it is existing on purpose and God made it for a very wonderful reason. Now this book, Song of Songs, takes us on this road and it beautifully paints a picture of what true soulmates actually looks like. But there's this theme underneath the, the words here that I want us to grab because we also must understand that with our walk with God, if you're going to find any true soulmate for you and in your life, that soulmate is God himself. That's who your soulmate is. Charles Finney, talking about this book, says, This book has wedded my soul to Jesus. This book has a way of, of digging through our hearts and exposing to us our inner longing. And the truth that you must know is that your soul was made to be one with God. That's what this is all about. Your soul was made to be one with God. Now, there's some major themes in this book that I want to pull out for us tonight that I think is going to help us in our Christian life. One of those themes is longing. When you read through this book, you get a sense of a longing. The wife is deeply longing for the return of her husband. She is waiting and staying up late, looking for her throughout the hills of Jerusalem. She is asking around and she is in desperate searching for her lover. And this goes, this, this paints a picture of what's true in our lives, guys. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Now, when we're children, you may have had this same attitude. Whenever everyone had this attitude when you're a kid, like, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Anyone ever have that before? Some people might even have that now. I don't care. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what people think about me. And really, it's a childish attitude. Think about this with me. 
This is what my discipler, he asked me one time. He said, Daniel, do you know why you care about what people think about you? Think about this. All of you that are sitting here tonight, you would be lying if you said, I really don't care what people think about me. You'd be lying because as you sit in this chair well-behaved, you are sitting here because you care and you don't want to act a fool out of nowhere, right? This is normal. But what I mean by this is this. He says, do you know why, he asked me, do you know why you care about what people think about you? Because people matter. People are big deals. People are made in the image of God. People matter. That means their opinions of you do matter. Now, I'm not saying tonight that you need to constantly obsess over other people's opinion of you. That's not what I'm saying. But look at what this is talking about here is that there's this longing. Why is there this inner longing? Why do we dream and wish and hope and pray to one day find our soulmate? Because everybody wants to be loved, and we all understand what it's like to long, have a longing in your heart. Are you all with me tonight, Chi Alpha? Now, um, Chi Alpha has a very interesting way of arranging marriages. <laughs> now, let me explain what I mean by that. My wife and I, you could strongly argue, we were, as, as much as you could possibly define it, we were practically an arranged Chi Alpha marriage. I met my wife in Chi Alpha. She's up taking care of our baby up in the top of the room right now. And, and I'm like, who is that girl? And I walked up to Sean, my buddy, and because and my wife was in one of my best friend's wife's small group. So she was in Michaela's small group. And I was like, who is that girl? And I started asking questions about her. And then basically both of them arranged. Now, we dated each other, and we, it was all that. It wasn't like my parents and then her parents, nothing like that. But it's amazing how in fellowship you can even have a, there was this, hey, Sean, what do you think about this girl? I'm interested in her. And he was like, bro, you like her? Oh, my gosh, she's the best. She's the greatest. She's, she loves the Lord. She's got all these small group girls in her small group. You, and basically there was this affirmation that took place the moment I asked about her. That's what I mean by it was kind of sort of this arranged thing. Now, guys, we shouldn't hate on arranged marriages because, you know, most countries in the world today, they still practice arranged marriages. Now, it can get weird. Trust me, I understand that. It can get really weird. I don't even know this person. And, and like, this is like, my parents want me to marry her because we live in India. And this, like, their family's doctors and our families are lawyers and we'll be a powerhouse family. But you understand that is what we call a collectivistic culture. But here in the West, in our independent culture, in our, in our singleness society, guys, sometimes that sounds like the weirdest thing. But it's not so weird when you have a Christian fellowship that helps you along in, these pro in this process. Now, if you don't have a family that you can trust about who to set you up with, which is probably almost all of us, right? If you don't have a family that you can trust, guys, I believe dating is not a sin. Dating is great. 
Dating is wonderful because it's a, kind of this process that you get to decide and figure out if this person is marriage material. Can I get an amen? Are we understanding this tonight? Date, now, you might not have had very good dating experiences, but, tr but I'm telling you, dating is great because the goal of dating is this. If you can learn how to be good friends, then you can then, if you pass the friendship exam, I mean, when you're dating, you're learning how to be close friends. If you can be close friends without tearing each other apart, then maybe you can one day be good lovers in marriage. And that's great. That's wonderful. It's a wonderful test. So, but this is, guys, this is what people taught me, and I want to leave this with you, because when you're looking for a potential spouse, I've learned there are very, very good indicators of things that you need to be looking out for, and I've got them on the screen for us. When you're looking for a potential spouse, I strongly suggest you look and search for these things. Number one, you want to look for someone who has a track record of growing in Christ. That's a person who has a evidence that they have been growing closer and closer to Jesus. You want to marry someone that is actually walking with Jesus, not someone that's walking with Jesus as though it's a phase. You want someone that really wants to walk with God. Okay? Number two, you want to find someone that values spiritual fruitfulness. This is a person that's passionate about ministering to other people. This is a person that values souls. This is a person that values the process of discipleship. These, these are excellent indicators that you found a person that would be a great spouse one day. Number three, you want to find someone who is not self-seeking. Guys, I hope I don't offend anyone, but hear me out. If you go on this person's Instagram and you see pages and pages and pages of scrolling, of scrolling, of scrolling, of nonstop selfies where they have no pictures of anyone else, you, know, you don't see any pictures with friends, you don't see, you just see selfies in duck faces for days. <laughs> I want to warn you, you might want to ask some questions, okay? You want to search for someone who's not self-seeking, someone who is not self-obsessed. If you go on your very first date and this person rattles off for one solid hour only about themselves and they don't ask you a question about you, danger, danger, danger. You want to find someone who is interested in other people who's unselfish with their life. And lastly, you want to find someone that has a servant's heart. There is a wonderful sermon by one of my favorite preachers. The title is called, I, Isaac, Take Thee, Rebecca. This is about Isaac in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Isaac is looking for a spouse. This is total family arranged marriages situation. He sends one of his servants out to this other family. They were probably cousins, but we don't need to go there. This is Old Testament times. And he's like, find me a spouse. And this is the type of spouse I'm looking for. The servant sits down at the well and Isaac gives these instructions. When you sit down at the well and a woman comes, if there is a woman that draws water from the well to give you something to drink, and she also asks, would you like me to feed your camels as well? This is so Old Testament. It's hilarious. 
if that woman says, I'll also, would you like me to give your camel something to drink as well? That's the woman I want to marry. Why did he give those instructions? Because this is a woman who has a heart of service. She has a servant's heart. She's not just in for her own gain. She is saying, I, she has a servant's heart that's willing to, to move a step further and, and go beyond the bare minimum. Guys, this is a great list to help you find the right potential spouse. Now, in Song of Songs, we see this deep longing that this woman has for her husband, which directly relates to our inner longing of our souls. Guys, Song of Songs is not afraid of passion. If you, anyone in this room that are in your early 20s, understand this struggle, and this is what my discipler taught me. Remember this, Chi Alpha. Pleasure longs for eternity. Pleasure always longs for eternity. We've said it this way. When you have a longing in your heart that can never be satisfied with anything on this earth, what you need to satisfy an infinite longing in your heart is an infinite person who never runs dry. The fountain of Jesus never runs dry. He will always satisfy you as long as your soul keeps returning to him and as your soul keep, continues to walk with him. Guys, we see this in the Psalms where David cries out to God. He says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O my God. If you read through the Psalms, you get this picture where David's soul is crying out for his God, that he is straining, and there's this, there's this pain and torture even as he's longing for his God. C.S. Lewis puts this perfectly in this way. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me say that again. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Guys, when we long after Jesus, you're living right in the right spot. That's exactly where you want to be. When you feel that inner aching, that longing for him, that's the first step of having intimacy with Jesus that we so desperately, that our souls so desperately need. The second thing that we see this theme in Song of Songs is waiting. You see this all over this book, this theme of waiting and waiting and waiting. In our Western culture... We are immensely impatient, aren't we? We are immensely impatient. One day I was at HEB waiting for, I was, there was like a line for getting up to fill up with gas. And I'm like, there's like, you know, and the, every single gas pump is full, like someone's there, right? And you just kind of have to wait in line. So I get there, and I'm like, drove around in circles like three times, right? And then, so one of them opened up, but I was postured wrong. I needed to back in, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You have to back in so you can get that one spot. Well, so as I'm backing in, lo and behold, someone drives up and takes that spot. And I'm going, okay, I'm being tested. I'm trying to breathe. Like, Lord, help me not to cuss right now. And so I'm waiting. So then, awkwardly enough, the pump next to him gets available. So I park right in the pump next to the guy that stole the spot that I was going for, right? I get out of the car. I see his face. He's like, bro, I'm so sorry. I totally didn't see you. 
and I took a deep breath, and this is what I said to this guy. I said, you know what? I've learned in life sometimes you must wait. And I believe that is true. There are moments in life, Chi Alpha, where you must wait and where the waiting is worth it. And when we're talking about marriage, when we're talking about sexual intimacy, when we're talking about intimacy with a future spouse, waiting is a blessing for you and for them. Okay? As we, now the, the Bible describes us as it says, calls us the bride of Christ. Have you ever heard this phrase before? That we are the bride, the church is the bride of Christ. Now the bride of Christ also longingly, eagerly awaits the return of Jesus. Now this is this theme here. As this woman in the scriptures is longing and waiting for her lover to return home, we as the church, as the bride of Christ, wait for our Savior to return. And it's the same theme. Now, guys, what I'm talking about tonight is waiting on God is a godly thing to do. Waiting on the Lord, praying out and seeking God and seeking His face and waiting on Him, that is how you trust Jesus with your heart. And now waiting can feel like torture sometimes because, guys, your very DNA longs for a Savior. Your very biology longs for a Savior. Now, we get this phrase, the bride of Christ. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says this, and this is really quite fascinating if you investigate it. He says, Jesus says to them, he's talking to the Pharisees that are griping to them because their disciples are not fasting, and Jesus' response is this. He says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? He's quoting a law to them. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then in that day they will fast. Jesus in this passage is calling himself the bridegroom, the bridegroom. This is the groom that will return to earth to take his bride, the church, all of us here. Spiritually, he is going to take us and join with us and we will be one with him. Guys, this is what this is all about, being one with Jesus. He's saying, don't bother my disciples about fasting because the one who is like the bridegroom is here, but I will not be here for long. This book gives us this theme of waiting and the struggle and the dignity of waiting on God. Now, some people that just don't like to wait, sin is crouching at their doors. Guys, you know what happens when you get impatient and you're not interested in waiting? See, many people want to get close to God, but they're not looking for the real thing. Sometimes when we, we get in this impatient phase or you're in a dating relationship or you're in, or in some relationship going on or you're, maybe you're engaged or something like that, sometimes that impatience can translate to what our walk with God is like. Now, think about this. When you're impatient, what's going on is... Some people that are not really serious with walking with God, they're, in, they're like, I prayed and asked this thing, but I didn't get this thing, so I'm moving on. W what's going on here is you're denying what your soul needs. You're denying the God that can on the only one who can satisfy your soul. But you see, some people, they're not really interested in a long-lasting rela like long relationship with God. They're really more interested in a one-night stand. What I mean by that is this. 
They say, God, just give me the good, the good feelings that I know you're capable of giving me. But after I get what I want from you, I'm out the door. And see, no wonder some, for some people, God doesn't answer their prayers. Because he, he hasn't seen evidence that you're really in it for the long haul. You're just after kind of a spiritual one-night stand kind of thing where I just want to get out of God what I want from him. But as long as, because that's a day, and God's not going to do that. You see, he's not going to spoil you rotten in a way that's going to ruin your chances of falling in love with him later on. Because what God wants with you is a union, and he wants to be one with you because he loves you. Leonard Ravenhill says it this way, and he says it great. He says, Christ has not conquered my affections if he has to, if he has to compete for my attention. Christ has not conquered my affections if he has to compete for my attention. This is why God is looking for a pure bride. This is what the Bible calls it. We want to be the church. Our Chi Alpha at SDC, Rio Grande, and also UT, RGV, we want to be a pure bride for our Savior. The last theme I want to talk about tonight from this book is the theme of abandon. When you read through this book, you constantly get this reoccurring theme of abandon, abandonment, or, or giving yourself completely over in abandon to Jesus. Guys, you will see this. In our culture today, we are obsessed with identity. Our culture is obsessed with identity. You hear these phrases, right? Identity politics. You hear that? You hear cultural identity. You hear words like sexual identity, economic identity, racial identity. Guys, there's, there can't, there's not enough categories for our culture to try to shove you in some little box. They're going to have 3,000 new ones next year. There's always a new identity that our culture wants to shove you in. Another thing that really took the church and really did a bunch of weird stuff is all these personality tests that came out. You remember those? Trust me, I did them too. And I was like, what's going on with this? There's like the Enneagrams. There's Myers-Briggs, like personality tests. There's also the, the Zodiac signs. You know what I'm talking about? People really get into these things. But guys, look, this is just, they're silly. They really are. They're so silly. Why? Because they're just another way for you to try to put your identity in a small little box, and particularly a small little box without God. Because the identity that actually matters is what your identity is in God, your identity in Christ and Jesus. Now, I'm not saying who you are and where you came from and your, like what cultural practices you had as a family. Like, you, did you have dinner around the TV or did you have dinner around the table together? You're going to figure that stuff out. Especially when you get married, you have to really work through the type of cultural things that you agree with and the ones you don't agree with, right? But guys... Our identity is something that we discover God gives us. It's not this thing that we, we assert in our culture that your identity is fully in your control. But guys, it's a lie. It's a lie. You discover who you are when you get to, because Jesus helps reveal who you are to yourself. Jesus reveals who you are. You discover who your identity is. And we fall in love with these little titles. But guys, they're shallow, shallow, shallow. 
What does this woman say in songs, a Song of Songs chapter 8? She says this wonderful phrase. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, talking to her husband, her lover, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as a grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. What is she saying? Now, Brian, uh, he, he explains this to our interns earlier this week, that place me like a seal on your arm. This is like those kings that had those giant rings, and, and they had the king's seal on it. It was this shape that was made from the ring. And then when they would write letters and stuff, they would do a wax seal. That's kind of coming back, right, with wedding invitations. You see wax seals all over the place? All right. So, but... Back in the day, you had the king's seal on his ring, like a signet, and he would stamp that wax, and that would de- declare, this is from the king. This thing is, this letter, this whatever this is that has this, this seal is a sign that it comes from the king. Now, this is what this woman, she's saying something very bold, Chi Alpha. She's saying, place me like a seal on your arm. She is exclaiming to the readers and to us tonight that she's like, I am so in love with my lover, with my husband. Place me like a seal on your arm. I want to establish that I belong in every sense of the term to you. And that is a great description of marriage. You belong in every sense of the term to your spouse and your spouse belongs to you. That is a covenant marriage that the Bible describes. This is what this woman is saying. I want to belong to you. Place me as a seal on your arm. The seal of a king. The seal of our betrothal. Mark me permanently as yours, she is saying. And you will be permanently belonging to me as well. Now, you may have been like me when you were in school and when you were studying Romeo and Juliet you fell asleep so fast (laughs) believe me that was me but I heard a Christian talk about Romeo and Juliet and it blew my mind and I want to explain this the best I can to you tonight William Shakespeare William Shakespeare you have to understand wrote many of his poems he lived during the Protestant Reformation So you have going on in the Protestant Reformation this feud between two families. You have the Protestant church and the Catholic church. They hated each other. They killed each other. They attacked each other. It was this awful family feud. So guys, when William Shakespeare is writing the story, the romance of Romeo and Juliet, the families that they are in are the Montagues and the Capulets. They are families that are at war with each other, right? You remember the story. And, they, and it was absolutely against the law for these two people from different families to fall in love with each other. It was absolutely taboo. You just don't do it. But William Shakespeare is bringing an analogy to us. He's saying, guys, this is the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church at war with each other. And he is painting this picture through this play. And so Juliet says this magnificent statement. She says, singing out into the night um, from the windowsill, and Romeo is down below listening to her talk. She's saying, deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, but be sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. She is saying, Romeo, 
lose your name so that we can finally be together. Or fine, I will lose my name. I don't care. I will lay down my identity if, if, if that's what it takes, if that means I get to be with you. What is Shakespeare painting for us tonight? Or what truth can we pull from this? The Bible says this in Matthew 16, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it in the end. Chi Alpha, what Christ is asking of you is if you want to be one with me, cast away your name. Cast away your identity. Cast away your last name. Abandon yourself and take my name upon you. Take my name and I will be with you forever, even into the end of the age. This is the centerpiece of the gospel. A oneness with Jesus. But you're never going to have that, guys, unless you abandon your name. Abandon yourself. Abandon your old ways. Abandon your silly identity that the devil tried to press on your life and say, oh, you have these types of thoughts and feelings? That's your identity. Sign this form. This is a community you now have to be a part of. Guys, if you give yourself to any of these sick, disgusting communities, they're going to turn you into an animal. Believe me, we've seen it. The world has no hope. For you, they have no answer to what identity truly is. But Christ says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. If you can follow, just be, bear with me just a little bit. We can be a little creative here. You could almost it change that word out if we're going to take liberties here. Take my name. Take my name upon you. And you and I will be one. Cultural identity meaningless, utterly meaningless when compared to the majestic, precious, beautiful relationship you can have with God. Becoming a Christian is everything. And I love, Brian constantly reminds, he, I've heard him say this a bunch of times and it's wonderful to remember. The name Christian used to be a curse. They would say, you little Christian, you little Jesus. They, the Romans would use that as a curse. And they would insult the believers in Christ of that day. Because you little Christian, you, you're, just a, you're just a mini miniature Jesus. Get, get out of here. And they would insult them. And Christians were like, actually, if the shoe fits. <laughs> they were like, I'll take that name. That's a great name. I'll take that badge and put it on here. I'm a Christian. I'm a, I want, that's what I want to be, Chi Alpha. I want to be a mini Jesus. I want to be a reflection of the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. Guys, do you want to know what intimacy with Jesus is like? Do you want to know how to begin? Intimacy with Jesus is when you begin to abandon self. Intimacy with Jesus. Abandon self. I'm going to ask the band to return. We're going to close together with a time of worship, same as we did last week. But I want us to know this one last thing. There's this final theme in the book of Song of Songs that is pretty intimate. I want you to know it's, not, it's, it's pretty risky sometimes and bold to preach from this book. Not many people do it, so I hope I'm doing a good job. But this woman, there's this theme here where she is 
talking about her lover who is far away, and she's longing for his return. And she also explains this theme of this loving union with her spouse. And guys, when you find your spouse and you choose unselfishly for the highest good of one another and you decide to one day get married and you stand before all your family and your friends, you stand before God and you make those vows, you say for better or for worse, through sickness and in health, forever and ever, I'm yours. What are they saying at the altar? They're not saying forever and ever, it's smooth sailing. They're not saying forever and ever, now things get easy. I don't have a struggle anymore with dating and all this. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying at the altar is forever and ever, I will choose daily you over all other lovers every single day. Every single day when I wake up in the morning, I will refuse all other lovers and I will choose you every single day. But there's this intimate moment. Whenever you get married, there's a fear, a, a healthy fear and trembling type of fear because you are totally opening your life up to another person. It's scary. It's really fun. Oh my goodness, it's so much fun. But it's also scary because you're opening your heart up and guys, there's this fear that this woman even talks about in this book. And that question that's ringing in your ears is this, will my spouse still love me after they know the deepest parts of me? Will my husband love me after he gets to know the real me? Will my wife love me after she gets to know the real me? Follow me, Chi Alpha. After the universe melts away like a scroll after the stars in the sky vanish and Jesus returns riding on the clouds, riding on a horse to take his kingdom, his bride. He's coming back for his bride. When he comes back and the whole world begins to melt away like a movie film, it just vanishes. And we start to see what true eternity is like you see that question is there. Will, he, will Jesus still love me after, he, after I'm one with him and there's no more secrets? Will God still love me? Jesus says the whole world will pass away, but my words will never pass. After everything is gone, guys, the truth of Jesus will remain. That's the faith of the Christian. That's the faith of the gospel. Jesus' words will remain. Jesus is the one whom your soul has been waiting for your entire life. And hear me out, Chi Alpha. The closer you get to Jesus, the more deeply you realize his love for you. The more you disclose, as it were, to, his, to him, the more you confess, the more you dig down deep and say, God, this is the type of person I am. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of playing this game. I'm tired of treating you like a one-night stand. I'm ready to get real with you, God. This is the revelation of the Christian. The deeper you go with God, the more you see his love for you. The deeper his, the more sin you turn away from, 
and you start to walk more in holiness with him, the deeper you see his love is for you. Guys, he's not going to run away from you because he already knows you. He's not going to be that person that abandoned you, that walked out on you, that crushed your heart. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The closer in intimacy you grow with Christ, the more depths of his love you will uncover. How do you be friends? How do you be intimate with Jesus? Guys, long after him, wait on him, and abandon yourself, and you will have an intimacy with God you never thought you could have. Let's stand tonight.